All right, let's go ahead and get back to our seats. Those of us here in the worship center for our brothers and sisters out in the gym. For the many of you watching online, hi Cheryl, hi Janice, hi Johnson family and others. We do miss many of you who um, have not been able to come back uh, yet, but we look forward to the day when that is the case. Here we are on a warm July day. Thank God for air conditioning in here. It's good to see uh, your faces, some back for the first time today, and we are excited about that. If you could turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, or in your app, whatever the case, you'll want to be looking at a Bible to check out what I'm saying, and you'll also be less bored. I'm just saying, <laughs> less, less bored. There we go. <laughs> Thanks, Joey. <laughs> As you are turning there, let me just point out that in today's worship folder, we did include uh, some missionary updates. Do this from time to time. I just want to encourage you to remember them. There's some pictures there um, for, those to, for those who don't know, to get reacquainted or acquainted with our missionaries, uh, but be praying for them and for the various places around the globe where um, coronavirus has taken different forms and there are different, our mission, we have some missionaries in first world countries, some missionaries in third world countries and uh, continue to pray for them. And this is just a help for you. Maybe you put this on the fridge for a week or have this as an opportunity to remind you of the missionaries that we support. Speaking of which, if um, you are not aware, if you're newer to the church in the envelopes, in the seat back, uh, you can choose to give to, to missions. You can also do that if you give online. If you don't mark missions, it won't go to missions because we have a separate uh, fund for that, a separate bank account actually, um, so that we rely on uh, our faith promise giving to uh, figure out what we as individuals and families will give towards missions and that helps us set our budget and you have been faithful and we have had many good years in a row here where we've been able to give increases to our missionaries out on the field. So I thank you for that. I want to read 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 17. That's where we'll be today, finishing off chapter 2. And then I'll pray and we will dive in. Around 50 AD, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church at Thessalonica. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, Brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless his word to us this morning. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers our sins so that we might come to you and worship through song, through giving, through fellowship, through the study of your word, through encouragement. Lord, I pray this morning that you would encourage 
hearts of those who are downcast, of those who are hurting, of those who are discouraged, troubled, despairing. Lord, I pray that you would use this scripture passage to speak directly to their hearts. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room whose heart is hard toward you, that you would soften it today with these words. And Lord, I pray that you would do a work that we can't even begin to imagine because your word is powerful and can accomplish more than we ask or imagine. It is true, it is powerful, it is sharp. And Lord, we ask that you would do heart surgery today if needed. In Jesus' name, amen. When I say the the phrase or the, the two words, stand firm, what do you think of? What comes into your mind when you hear those words? Stand firm. Can I get a hand so I can hear that? Anybody? What comes to your mind? Immovable? Soldiers. Okay, so some military pictures. Look out, something's coming. Okay. What? Football linemen. Yes. Very good. Training camp starts soon. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, <laughs> yeah, stand firm. That's a good one. When you have a 360-pound person standing across from you, standing firm. <laughs> that is a good thing. Yes, very good. I did not think of that one. That was a good one. Any other, any other thoughts? Any other pictures come in your mind when you think of standing firm? Armor of God? A rock in a storm. Yeah, very good. Okay, all... Great ideas here on the, uh, the, the concept of standing firm. And this is what Paul is teaching the Thessalonians today. And it's interesting, as you look, many of your Bibles, you can go back to chapter 1 just by looking across the page because this is such a short letter. Or maybe you just have to turn one or two pages over. But when we started Second Thessalonians um, several weeks ago, uh, we, we see this is a quick follow-up that Paul writes to the church that he had to start. And again, he had to leave that church fairly quickly because of persecution. They had to, to get him out of there. Um, and, and Timothy, uh, one of his associates, had to go back and deliver the first letter of Thessalonians, which we studied previously. And very quickly, we find out the context of what Paul is asking the Thessalonians to consider in what's going on in their church. Verse 4, they are facing, uh, chapter 1, they're facing persecutions, and afflictions. And then he uses the word enduring. And so the idea is to endure, to persevere, that there are, there are trials and tribulations. And the, the thought is not to escape necessarily, but to be able to endure these trials. Immediately in verses 5 through 12, which Pastor AJ preached a few weeks ago, we saw that God protects his own and that he will visit judgment on those who have afflicted his people. For those who do not obey the gospel, there is judgment awaiting them. And then last week, we looked at chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and, and saw Paul clarifying their misunderstanding of the end times. Had Christ already come? Are we in the day of the Lord? Did we miss something? What's happening in our world? Remember, they are in the Roman Empire. They are minority uh, religion, a new religion. They are a weird religion. Um, only Christianity and Judaism um, are monotheistic, and so they are uh, on the outs. And so Paul spends a lot of time, as we saw last week, just kind of giving them reassurance on, no, that there's some things that have to happen first. 
he outlines some of these cryptic sounding things that that connect to Daniel and they connect to Revelation and they connect to Jesus's sermon on the Mount of Olives. But but as we see, what Paul is is doing is he is not giving trivia. He's not giving trivia. Um, He is giving facts and details for a purpose. And the purpose is even clearer here in verses 13 through 17. Um, In fact, it's almost like um, Paul really wants to, to pull back from um, all these details that he is uh, competent to share, that he is teaching well, but he wants to make sure they're grounded. And he wants to make sure that they're grounded in the fact that God loves them. He's for them. He will comfort them. We see the word comfort. We see establish. We, we see these words with these things, giving, given. And so we see that Paul wants to establish them. He wants them to be able to stand firm in a world where the winds are roaring, where the storms are coming. We, we see this in the word establish in verse 17. We see it in standing firm in verse 15. And I ran across this in my study this week. Now, someone said this, stability is a stability, so establish, see the word established stability. Stability is a coveted quality in every sphere of human life. Think about this. Governments talk about stabilizing the economy. Builders endeavor to construct stable houses. We sure hope so. Carpenters, stable furniture. Aircraft and ships even have stabilizers to counteract turbulence and the ocean swell. And we admire people who have a stable personality character and convictions this is a a treasured concept and we want to consider that today in light of the fact that the thessalonian church was anxious they were fearful they were scared after speaking about the man of lawlessness in the previous few verses day of the lord anxiety paul writes to give calm to give comfort to reassure them Not to distract them, not to lie to them, but to give them real purpose to be able to stand firm in the trials of life. See, Paul doesn't pretend it away. He faces the trials and the tribulations head head on. And we need to be there as well. And so the way that he starts, I think, is instructive for us. And so maybe this is a, a habit or a quality or something that you were taught or perhaps even sung to at night to count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. Um, there are different uh, uh, strategies and ways to, to give thanks for things. Um, Pastor Ron frequently will stand up here and ask people to just shout out things that they're thankful for. Um, why does Paul immediately move to giving thanks? Well, look at verse 13, and we'll see that we want to follow his example and give thanks for God's comprehensive salvation. We want to give thanks for God's comprehensive salvation. Paul immediately goes from talking about the man of lawlessness, what's going to happen in the end, and he says, but, or now. Coming off of that, coming off of that topic, coming off of those details, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you. He's speaking to the Thessalonians. And and think about being the Thessalonians, receiving this letter. Um, possibly delivered by Timothy or an associate of Paul, that the letter comes, they read it in their church gathering, and they hear this from their founding pastor, from the missionary who planted their church. Paul wants to give thanks always to God for the Thessalonians. 
Now, would, wouldn't that encourage you in trials and tribulations? We, you probably miss Paul. <laughs> like he got snatched away too early. You kind of wanted to be in the Paul Academy for a while longer to, to understand more of what this new religion you subscribe to, you've signed up for. And Paul is saying, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. And, and that, if that sounds familiar, um, go back to verse 3 of chapter 1. But right at the outset of the letter, Paul said, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Almost the exact same phrase. But in this place, he points the Thessalonians to the Lord. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because. Why? Because God chose you. Now, think of that. Think of the picture of adoption. Think of uh, even just the picture of back when you were in P.E., and you're picking teams, so line up on the line, and I want you, I want you, I want you. Think of um, courtship, dating, marriage. Think of all the various things that we can uh, apply quickly to choosing. God chose you, Thessalonians. He chose you on purpose. He wants you. He chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Now, immediately before we go any further, if some of you have an NIV or other translations, you don't see first fruits there, and so you might be wondering what in the world is going on with the version that I'm reading. Um, in many versions, it says, chose you from the beginning. And there is a little bit of disagreement um, about this, but I think that the ESV is probably right in saying that he chose you as the first fruits. And for a society that understood agriculture and understood farming, this was a far easier concept to grab onto than ours. Um, and, and the first fruits where the, the, as it sounds, were the first fruits, the first crop to mature. And so what would happen is you would go out to your field or some of you maybe go out to your garden and it's those first ripe tomatoes. Um, it's the first time you actually think you might be able to pick that thing off and take it inside and eat it rather than pray that it keeps growing and nothing eats it. <laughs> okay, it's the first fruits. And in in the um, Jewish calendar and in the Jewish way of life, God had set it up that this was a reason for celebration. They had a festival about this because it meant that the rains had come and the planting had happened and God had brought a harvest. And so the first fruits are a promise of more to come, a promise of how the rest of the harvest will go. You can see hope wrapped up in this image. And the Thessalonians, Paul says, you're the first fruits. And so the, the idea is there's a future here because if they're the first fruits, then we're to expect more to come. And so the idea is the Thessalonians think of their local church, their local area as they're the first fruits. And now they're reaching out to the community and there's going to be more harvest to come. But not only that, that as Paul continues to go around, that there will be more and more harvest coming. Think of how small this band was and think of how many churches are meeting right now in orange county to worship this god we, we are we are the harvest we are the harvest and they were the first fruits so see the encouragement in how paul turns thanksgiving to god into not just a prayer to god but a prayer to god with the view of the people Right, so that he's, he's praying, he's writing out a prayer, and he has the people in view as he prays. Listen, teachers, you teach our young, our young people, you work in the nursery, you work with our kids in Awana, you, you uh, parents, you grandparents, when you pray, you have an opportunity to teach those listening. Now, be careful you don't take that too far, because <laughs> that might cause you to freak out. 
And it also might cause you to be a little bit too didactic in how you're going to pray. But understand the idea when you're praying in front of others, you have an opportunity to model prayer for them. You have an opportunity to show the people that are around listening to your prayer, praying with you to God, how to pray. Paul subtly teaches the Thessalonians and us how to pray here. He encourages them in the prayer to God. He chose them as first fruits to be saved. And then he says how that happened. It happened through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Now, I, I write in my Bible. I got a Bible with wide margins so that I could write in it. Um, I have a triangle here, and you don't have to do this. I'm just, if you want to. Notice in verse 13, Paul is praying to God. He mentions the Lord, which almost every time Lord is mentioned in the New Testament, we're speaking of the Lord Jesus. He speaks to God, the Lord, and then how are they sanctified? By the Spirit. I put a little triangle there because we see the Trinity mentioned in just that one verse. Now, Paul is not attempting to have an academic class going on here and teaching about the Trinity, which if you're in Troy's apologetics class, I think you're getting to next week about the Trinity. But notice that, that it just comes out of Paul as he communicates. He worships, he prays to, he speaks of the, the Trinity right here in just one verse. Now, what is sanctification? Sanctification means to set apart for a purpose, for holiness. So in the Old Testament, vessels were sanctified because they were set apart to be used in the tabernacle. Um, people are sanctified in, in several senses. One, again, priests and Levites are set aside, set apart from the people. They have to have special practices, special clothing, special purifications so they may serve God and be set apart for the people. As believers... We are taught in the New Testament that we are set apart. We are sanctified for holiness, for God. There are two ways, though, that this word can be used in the New Testament. We can see it here because there's a debate about how it's used here. There is a positional sanctification. And you can see that in the word set apart. If you're set apart, imagine being taken and set apart. Okay, this is a a one-time event, sanctified. You're set apart. And that happens when we become believers. But oftentimes in the New Testament, we see the word sanctification. You can see sanct there. We can see that the connection to holiness. We also see a progressive sanctification. So that when you were a baby Christian, you acted like a baby Christian. <laughs> and the goal is not to stay a baby Christian. The idea is, is growth. And so the, the picture I think here is actually not of the necessarily of the growing sanctification, the progressive, but the positional sanctification. Listen, they're first fruits. They're taken out of the the field and they're placed over here. This is the position that you hold with the in the family of God. God sees you as taken and set apart. You are set apart, Thessalonian believers. You are set apart, Village Bible Church, by the Spirit. How did that happen? Belief in the truth. By believing the truth, we are set apart and saved. So one of the ways that we, want to, that we want to study this is we want to go forward and we want to go backward. We want to keep looking at the sentences and see the progression of what Paul is doing and then read it back into. You can do this on your own in your Bible reading and clarify for yourself what Paul is saying. Right? This is what we have to do when Paul is speaking, especially because it's, so argu- it's an argument. He's making an argument. We have to kind of track it. And you can see that, that Paul is saying, when you were saved, this is how it happened. And that's good because how many of you 
don't really remember all the details of when you were saved? How many of you don't have a date on which you prayed a prayer or were saved? Yeah, right. So, so what do we, what do we have to do? We have to go, we have to go from where we are now and look back and say, where have I grown? How have I grown? What helped me to grow? Well, what things in life caused growth or, or, or caused me to stumble or caused me to, to backslide? And then we go to the scriptures and say, what does the scripture say about how we were saved and what was happening? Because maybe we didn't feel that, right? Or maybe we can't, we can't see it in the moment, but we look back and say, ah, that's what was happening during that time. And you can't see it maybe for years. So as Paul gives thanks to God for the Thessalonian salvation, he is speaking of the, the, the various aspects of salvation. It's, it's like a diamond that has many facets, and you turn the diamond. It's only one diamond, but you turn it under the light, and you can see the different facets and the different ways that it was expertly cut. And that's the, the, the diamond of salvation. And that's why we have so many of these shun words in the Bible. Redemption, reconciliation, salvation itself. And, and it, it gives us... It gives us a vocabulary by which to describe what has happened, which is really cool because what that shows is that, that God's saving of us is a, is a, is a, is a, a multi-layered thing. And it happens, in one sense, it happens the same for all of us. We're all saved by grace through faith. But in another sense, it happens differently for all of us because our contexts are different, our character is different, our family background is different. And so this is really cool for us to, to, to kind of step back and look at. He continues in verse 14 to describe their salvation and ours by saying to this, which probably refers to just the whole sweep of things he just talked about, to this he called you through our gospel. So you see how he's rewinding? How did this happen? How, did, how were you set apart? How were you saved? Well, it happened through the gospel. Gospel means good news. Gospel means good news and this good news that was shared in Thessalonica by Paul and his team. It was through the gospel that God called them. Now, the idea of being called um, can be something um, like just naming. If you, call, if you call it out, you're naming it. It can also be um, an invitation. Hey, I want to call you to come to our house today, right? Something like that. It can also mean more like a, a summons. So when like the king calls you, you, right, you don't go, ah, okay, whatever. Right? There's a different kind of call, right? When I say, hey, how's it going? You're like, oh, he's calling me. But when, when someone in authority calls, now you have a, um, a summons to, be, to, to come, to, to respond. And so I think what Paul is saying is not just, like the, not just merely an invitation, but through the power of the gospel, which Paul speaks about in Romans 1, is the power of salvation, right? That the gospel is that there is a calling where God supernaturally, through the preaching of the gospel, through the sharing of a testimony, through the listening of a radio station, through a song, through a sermon, through a memory verse at Awana, right? That in all of these ways, there are ways that God calls his people. He calls them through the gospel, which is why we can't get away from the gospel. We can't mature beyond the gospel, the gospel is central because through it, we were saved. And we must never forget that we were saved through this good news. This is how it happened. This is how it always happens, through the gospel. Now, why? 
Why did God call the Thessalonians? Now, this is really cool because it's not just bare facts of what had happened, but it gives purpose for why God did it. Why did God choose them? Why did God love them? Why did God sanctify them? Why did he call them? So that you may obtain, grasp the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you hear the word obtain, you think of like kind of a struggle, finally getting it. You've obtained it. You got there. You reached it. You finished the race. Whatever the, the metaphor that you want to use. But we see an interesting fact here. And oftentimes, most often, we talk about the glory of God. We sing about the glory of God. If you've been here for a long time, you have heard the circle talk from Pastor Ron about the glory of God. So many verses in the scripture talk about the glory of God. But there are times, if we're not careful, that we forget that there is a glory for us. In fact, it's the end result of all those shun words in Romans chapter 8, Paul t- tells us that we're going to end with glorification. And that is not just glorifying God. It is something we receive, or in this passage, we obtain. So why did God save us? So that we could obtain the glory of God. We get tastes of it now, and someday we will be glorified, which means we get a body that doesn't fade away. There's no sin attached to it. There's no corruption. And we can share in the glory of God. C.S. Lewis has a great way of talking about that you've never met a mere mortal. Um, that the human beings all around us, um, the Christians all around us, are destined to be something that if we saw them now, we would bow down and worship because of how glorified we will be. Not on our own, not because we've earned it. The whole context here is God is giving it to us. But what we get at the end is a sharing in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you think of this as... Um, Maybe like uh, like a sports team that obtains the um, the trophy. Okay, they win the championship. Um, you can think about all of the people connected to that team that didn't actually play: <laughs> the trainers, the PR people, the front office, the GM. All the all these people that don't actually play, they don't actually compete on the court or the field or the ice or whatever. But when that team wins, they all obtain some part of that glory, right? So um, I think with the Stanley Cup, I'm not a big hockey fan, but the Stanley Cup, they, they, they get to keep it, they can take it with them, they're, they're drinking from it, right? It's a sharing in it. Um, you you uh, see that uh, movie studios, when they win an Oscar or something, that, that they'll, they'll pass the, the award around and have people take pictures with it, right? Because they're sharing in the glory. This is what we are promised. We get to share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we have to look forward to. That is what is at the end. So when you're struggling, when there's trials and tribulations like the Thessalonian church had, what do you look forward to? Well, you look through all of that and you look to the end and say, I am destined for glory. That's what's at the end of this. And it might mean I get short-circuited by an evil regime and get killed, and that's how I get there. But I, at the end of this thing, whether I'm 95 or I'm 35, I'm getting glory at the end of this. Not because, and again, there's no arrogance attached to that, right? Well, I earned it. Went through all these trials and tribulations. Well, that's what you signed up for. <laughs> that's you, I mean, you, you worship a Savior who died on a cross. So at the end, there's glory that's ahead. That's a glory that's promised to us and for us. And the last thing I want to point out here is just going back to that, that picture of first fruits, just a, a modest picture of, of a crop, 
that Paul turns into all of a sudden at the end, we've got glory. And, and think about um, why we support missions and missionaries at Village Bible Church. Because we want to share the gospel. We want to proclaim this good news all around the world. And so we want to give of our finances. We want to give of our time. We want to get to know our missionaries. We want to be connected to them on social media. We want to support them. And this church has done such a great job of responding to that. I think of when Lori Maz Luther broke her elbow a few years ago and we just said, hey, maybe we can help her. She need, they need like this much money. And a few days later, I get a note that we got more money than all of that to help with Lori's elbow because we love sending Sometimes our best. We send our best away. We lose them. They don't get to minister at our church anymore, but we send them to the ends of the earth so that many more may hear of this good news and join us in obtaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. That's why we are and always have been a church focused on missions. May it always be so. As Paul moves on into verse 15, he gives them a, a, a consequence, uh, an application of what he just shared. And so he tells them to get a grip on right teaching. Get a grip on right teaching. And I get that, that picture of grip from the word hold. So in verse 15 he says, So then, brothers, because, of, because you're loved by God, because he chose you, because he saved you, stand firm. Because there's glory coming, stand firm. And hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. The idea is to hold the line. The military pictures are very good here. The offensive line, yes, as well. <laughs> the, the picture here is of holding the line to, to keep, to not retreat. And the idea is that we're holding to the traditions. And that, that word might rub some of you the wrong way. You hear tradition and you're, ah, what's that? Traditions, what? What about the Bible? And, and the, the word here that's used for traditions is the word for teaching. That is passed down from generation to generation. So in the best possible sense of the word tradition, this is exactly what we want to do. Uh, not, not in the, the like legend kind of tradition, right? Or the just structural traditions. This is how we do it. This is how we do things. This is how we've always done things. This is how we will always do things. Not that. In the, the passing down of the teaching of Jesus and the apostles, that is what we hold to. And the Thessalonians were taught these things by Paul and Silas and Timothy. And he, he gives them a, a little phrase at the end that's helpful for us. Either by our spoken word, when we were there with you, or by our letter. Remember last week he had warned them that sometimes there were false letters going around. And so discernment is needed. Education is necessary. And this, the idea of standing firm. If the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be shared, then we can stand firm. And I, I, I thought about how to illustrate this, how to think about this. And I, that one of the first things that popped into my head um, was the idea, not necessarily of the physical standing firm, but the, the, the mental strength to stand firm. Um, because so often the, the military metaphor works until we realize that doesn't actually happen in our lives, right? Like, I love that movie. I will never be in that situation. <laughs> okay, that's really cool. I've never swung a broadsword. Okay, like... <laughs> So how do we actually apply it to our boring lives during the week, right? When we have to stand firm in the midst of children screaming in our home, okay? Or job loss, right? Or, or, or however many more ways we could talk about this. How do we mentally, spiritually, psychologically stand firm? 
And I think of um, the Lord of the Rings. And I think of standing firm is not just a powerful individual standing firm. Okay? Now, it can be, right? Gandalf, you shall not pass. Okay? That kind of thing. Which, by the way, didn't go so well for him. But... Um, <laughs> There is that picture, and sometimes that is necessary, right? There's necessary for a, a great leader to stand alone and to, to take that. But most of the time, standing firm requires, for most of us, community. For most of us, it requires someone praying for me, someone encouraging me, someone sending me scripture, someone talking with me, someone I can see doing the same thing I'm doing and doing it well, or not doing it well and not giving up. So I, I, I went and... Um, and I, I, I actually didn't go to the movie. I actually got the book out. It's falling apart. <laughs> Can we get a new one? Um, there, the book, there, there's pages falling out of the Lord of the Rings. And um, in the return of the king, Frodo has all but given up climbing Mount Doom to destroy the ring of power. He tells Sam how despairing he is, and he questions whether he, he can go on. He, he says to, to Sam, no taste of food, no feel of water, no sound of wind, no memory of tree or grass, or flower. No image of moon or star are left to me. I am naked in the dark, Sam. And there is no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I begin to see it even with my waking eyes, and all else fades. A few paragraphs later, Frodo pitifully crawls forward on his hands, and then this. Sam looked at him and wept in his heart, but no tears came to his dry and stinging eyes. I said I'd carry him if it broke my back, he muttered, and I will. Come, Mr. Frodo, he cried. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you and it as well. And you just see uh, Sam lift up Mr. Frodo and carry him up the volcano. And that is what we need so often is we need somebody else to carry us. I can't get there. But mentally, spiritually standing firm, established clinging to the truths that we know, even though everything around us is darkness, to continue to go forward. That is the picture, and we do it together. And so it requires us to be discerning. It requires us to be educated. And I don't mean like pouring thousands of dollars in education, although that might be the way that some of, of us go. But what it means is always continually using the scriptures and good resources to keep ourselves able to stand firm. Satan is not resting. He's not resting. He is constantly looking for new ways or or old ways to, to get us to fall. And so we must be standing firm, not sitting firm. (laughs) We're standing. We are fighting. We are active. We want to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, who uh, incidentally was the place that Paul went after Thessalonica. He goes to Berea, and there the Berean Jews received the word with all eagerness. Do you receive God's word with all eagerness? Eagerly receiving God's word. That, that means maybe reading your, your Bible during the day. It means maybe listening to a podcast or a radio station. It means coming to church. It means coming to a community. It means coming eager to receive. Notice you're receiving the word. You're not receiving a personality or a speaker or a preacher. You're receiving a word. And then examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I love this. Paul shows up and they go, oh, okay. Well, okay, that's great. But we're going to check you out in here. (laughs) We have something higher than you to check you against. And that's why, honestly, that's why I want your Bibles open. 
Because you got to be looking at this, and if, if, if what we're saying up here is like, wait a second, what? Um, right, well, you need to be vigilant and active. There are false teachers all over the place. In fact, there's so, ma- there's so many, they're so easy to access, unfortunately, on YouTube or uh, via podcast or on the TV. We have to be Bereans, eagerly receiving the word and examining the scriptures. That will help us to stand firm. And then I thought this. I was trying not to tear up reading that thing about Sam and Frodo. When we see other people stand firm, it often encourages us to stand firm. So maybe your standing firm has very little to do with you, and maybe it has a lot to do with someone watching you. I thought this as I was preparing. Maybe, maybe it's not all about me. <laughs> Shocker. Maybe there are times where if you stand firm, unbeknownst to you, someone is going to watch and say, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. That's why... Older people in our congregation, I'm just going to leave it there. You can do whatever you want with older. (laughs) Older people in our congregation, we need you desperately because we need this. We need to see 65 years of marriage. We need to see those things so that we can look and say, wow, I want to be like that. I want to try to to get there someday. It looks really hard right now. I want to get there. Wait, they survived having children in their home? Oh, maybe we can too. They had a child that left the faith. Perhaps, maybe we can be like them and soldier on. And that doesn't mean that we do it stoically, like ignoring our feelings, but that we understand that they went through all of those things and probably wept and were broken before the Lord and then got up and stood firm and kept going. So maybe your standing firm is to encourage somebody else. The the word then that follows is the hold to the traditions. That holding is is the picture of adhering too strongly. And when I hear that, I I think almost like like glue-like, right? Like you want to adhere to the traditions. So you you want the the teaching of the apostle, the teaching of Jesus to be stuck to you or you to it so that you have access to it, so that you're holding to it, so you don't let go and drop it and forget it. It means a, a commitment to someone or something. To these doctrines that were handed down. Folks, this is why if you ever, if you ever think you've gotten it with the Bible, think again. It's a big book. I mean, just, just by sheer bigness. I, I've met very few people that have the bandwidth to be like, oh yeah, like right there, right? Like we need to continually go back. We are a forgetful people. If you go to the book of Deuteronomy, you see that that Moses is calling these people, don't forget, remember, don't forget, remember, lest you forget, remember, to continually to bring it back up. How many times have you read a scripture passage that you've probably read dozens of times and you got something new out of it? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, we all have, right? So how dare we think we've mastered it? In fact, we should let it master us. That is what we should do with the teaching of scripture. So let me challenge you, where do you need to stand firm this week? Because again, this is nice in here. We're all buddy-buddy. Yeah, that's good. And then tomorrow in the office, or on the freeway to the office, something happens, <laughs> and it's not all, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings because it's just you in the car and your swear words. <laughs> or it's you in the car, it's you in the office, and their swear words, right? It's, it's all of these things that when, this, when the rubber meets the road tomorrow, how do we make this happen? How do we... Stand firm. And we do it primarily to the scriptures. 
through modeling our life after what Jesus has given to us by saturating our brains and our minds in the scripture, which is harder and harder to do if we're not careful because we have such easy access to other things to be saturated in. It's called binge watching. Maybe we should do some binge reading of the scriptures. Sit down and read a whole book all the way through. It might take you an hour, which is shorter than most movies. You can do it. Maybe standing firm means taking the next step. Maybe it means boldly moving to the next thing. Maybe it means getting baptized and following Jesus. Maybe it means finally becoming a member of this church. Maybe it means volunteering in a ministry that sounds really risky to you. Or maybe not in your wheelhouse or not my gifting. Maybe it means asking someone in this congregation to disciple you. Some of you, that's a terrifying prospect. Don't let it be. Maybe you should ask someone if you can disciple them. That sounds terrifying too, some of you. Maybe this is what it means to stand firm this week. Maybe it means just making it through the week and asking someone to pray for you. And you know what's great? The next thing Paul does is pray, which seems very logical at this point. So look at verses 16 and 17, where we depend on God for doing good. We want to depend on God for doing good. Paul, sometimes, I think sometimes if we have the wrong picture, we can think of Paul as a brainiac, where all this is happening in his super mind and um, super smart Paul. And then we just get really discouraged because we're not super smart and we're not super apostle, right? And so then we just kind of give up. But, but I think what's, what's helpful here is Paul never really gets too far from real life. Paul was bivocational. He was making tents. He was working with his hands. He wasn't just sitting in a library, stroking his chin, reading the scrolls. He was involved in real life. He was planting churches. He was on the move. He was getting shipwrecked. He was getting beaten. He was watching his close associates betray him. That's real, Paul. Okay? That's, that's what's happening. This is all happening in the context of, of real life. So when we depend on God for doing good, we take what we're learning and then we go do it, which, is, which involves risk. It will inevitably involve failure to some degree. And some of us are afraid of that and so we freeze and we don't act. And then it just becomes a, a wish in our brain or it just becomes a, a factoid that's trivia and, and doesn't actually go filter down to our heart, to our hands in the week. Watch what Paul does. He's praying again for Thessalonians. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us what kind of comfort? Eternal comfort. That's not bad. Could use some of that. Eternal comfort and good hope through grace. So many uh, reports I have seen of how hopelessness has just spread throughout the world because of the pandemic. And that is totally understandable if you have nothing to put your hope in. But what Paul prays here is for good hope through grace. Not good hope through pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. Not good hope through just gritting your teeth and being a better person. Just be a better you. You know what happens when you try to be a better you? It doesn't work. 
It just doesn't work when you just, and that's all your only motivation. But when we do these good works in the knowledge of God giving us grace, then we have what we need. And he ends in verse 17, comfort your hearts. May the Lord Jesus and God comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Now watch this. In this benediction, there's a few things I want you to notice. When you look at verse 16, you see the Lord Jesus Christ himself emphasized first, actually, before God the Father, which is not normal. And then God the Father mentioned that word who, that next word who, that's a singular word, not a plural. But two people were just mentioned. So who's he talking about? Yes. He is, he is putting Jesus Christ and God the Father on equal footing. Which, if not explicit Trinitarian teaching, is doggone close. Showing that Jesus is equal with the Father. And then what does he do? As he, as he brings the Lord Jesus and God our Father into it, he reminds the Thessalonians that they're loved by, and if he says us, we, we're loved by Jesus and by God the Father. He's given us eternal comfort, good hope through grace. May it comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. How does this meet real life? In every good work and word. In every good work and word. Now, I don't know if what you're thinking about when you think of good work. I don't know if you think like, oh, if I show up at a ministry, I'm doing a good work. That is a good work. What about if you do what your employer asks you to do? That's a good work. What if you refrain from saying what you really want to say, but know is not helpful and sinful, and you say something that is helpful or encouraging? That's a good word. So don't, don't blow this out of proportion. Good works are going on a mission trip. That is a good work, but so is like not doing stupid stuff, right? I mean, like, like following Jesus in the everyday mundane things, that is a good work. That is good, a good word. So Paul says all of this makes its way into our lives, in our lives, in our real lives, not in some imagined big thing. So the, our hearts are comforted and established in every good work and word. Now, the word for establish there is very, very close to the word stand firm back in verse 15. Establish in verse 17, is a very, very close relative of the word stand firm in verse 15. But in verse 15, he commands them to stand firm. And in verse 17, he's asking God to help them stand firm. So which is it? Do you see how this command works? This is um, St. Augustine's famous quote as he prays to the Lord. Lord, give what you command and command what you will. Lord, give what you command and command what you will. Or another way to say it is, the Lord does not command that which he does not enable. God's not in heaven going, do this. <laughs> they can't do it. Right? He's not a capricious Lord. He says, do this. I've given you the means to do it. I've given you what you need to do it. You can do it because I've given you what you need. So why does Paul give them a command and then pray that God does it? Because that's how this works right? Um, 
God does it in us. That's Philippians 2. It's God at work in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So who's doing it? Yes, we are not apart from God. God is through us. That's how this works. So why do we pray? This is a great reason to pray, by the way. Sometimes we struggle with, why am I praying? Right? We kind of sometimes settle into this fatalistic thing. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Well, what, what, maybe, kind of, what? <laughs> That's not a Bible verse. <laughs> what, what, happens, what happens here is, it was we pray and we do. We hear and we do. Right? We don't say, Lord, help our congregation to meet budget. Right? Dollars falling from the sky. What, what, are we looking, what are we looking for? What we're looking for when we pray something like that is we're praying... God, help me to give <laughs> so that our church meets budget. Right? This, this is the idea that we, we pray and we act and we act and we pray. And while we act, we pray. And when we pray, we decide to act. It's all intertwined together. This is walking by faith, not by sight. If we're walking by sight, we wouldn't need to do this. We're walking by faith, saying, I know the Lord has called me to this. I know he's good. I know he loves me. I know he's given me the Holy Spirit. Let's go. Do I know everything is going to happen? Absolutely not. That's why it's faith. So we obey the command to stand firm and we trust that God will give us the power to accomplish in his strength what we cannot achieve on our own. This is how the establishing happens in every good work and word. God works in us as we work for him. God works in us as we work for him. It's important for us to see that we are given eternal comfort. What is eternal comfort for? Just kind of getting, mm, eternal comfort. Okay, I'll just stay right here. Eternal comfort is given to us eternally, starting now. Meaning we have a, a higher quality of comfort in the life to come, but we have a taste of it now, and so we can move in that direction. Listen, Paul is going to end his life with his head getting separated from his shoulders by an axe or a sword. Okay? Not the way we're going to choose to go, right? But you know what? He, he goes to that chopping block knowing eternal comfort. Paul teaches that, that in the, the moment where his Heart, I mean, I, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor. But when his heart stops beating, his brain waves stop, he is with the Lord. Eternal comfort. When, when, when you have that eternal perspective, man, that's a really awful thing. We're not going to take that away. That's a horrible thing. Persecution is, is, is horrible. We don't desire it on anybody. We don't want it. But when it comes, we know what's on the other side. So we can stand firm and be established. This is what we have ahead of us this week. Standing firm in the temptations to compromise. Whatever those might be. To cheat, to lie. Whatever is coming our way this week, we have the opportunity and the means, if we are saved, to stand firm. May it be so. Lord, we ask that you would do this in our lives, not just our individual lives, but also in our corporate lives, our, our fellowship together. And we ask what Paul asked for ourselves, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself and you, Father, who loved us 
and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace would now and this week comfort our hearts and establish them in every good work and word. We thank you and we ask that you would give us firm living this week. In Jesus' name, amen.